0: Okay, as the last folks come in, I think we'll get started. Thank you all for finding your way here. Obviously, the topic of this convo struck a chord,
1: or you wouldn't have made an effort to get up on the day after the Super Bowl in the cold weather and come. Thank you for coming. We've never done anything like this before, but I'm excited about the possibilities. The, panelists, the student panelists, when we got
0: together on Friday, said that they would like to have a bridge between chapel last Friday, where we emphasize what unifies us, and today's convocation. So I've asked
1: Gwen to lead us in, Jesus help us live in peace. We'll sing the refrain, verse one, and then the refrain again. (laughs)
0: There's a lot of you. Good morning. I'm Carolyn Shank. I teach um, Conflict Studies in the Peace, Justice, and Conflict Studies Department. I'm grateful uh, for this opportunity, and I'm grateful for the presence of each of you. Um, we haven't done anything quite like this before, and it's, it's exciting. Um, it's a little bit nerve-wracking for those of us who are up front, and maybe for some of you, I don't know. Um, but I'm really, really thrilled with the, with the opportunity to do it, and a special thanks to the um, convo committee um, for setting this up. Uh, just a little bit about how the, uh, the structure of the, uh, the morning, it's a longer convo. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of, of input at the beginning, um, and then um, introduce you to sort of the three questions that we're going to be working with. Oh forgot, the very first thing is that Josh Keister is going to tell a story. um, And then I'll do a bit of input. um, And then we'll work with the three questions uh, with the three panelists here. And then hopefully have a bit of time left um, to have you all do a a bit of practicing at your own table. Practicing? It's not really practicing. It's for real. Um, So that's that's the structure of the morning. Um, Quick introduction of who we have. Um, Starting down there, uh, Benson Hostetter, who's a junior communication major. Angelique Santos, who is a junior double major in history and youth ministry. Stefan Baumgartner, who is a junior double major in music and sociology. And speaking first, Josh Keister from the class of 2004, uh, former baseball coach, current director of the Rec Fitness Center. Thanks. Starting out with Josh.
2: When I first arrived on this campus in the fall of 2000, uh, I found a campus that was extremely polarized around the issue of homosexuality. At that time in my life, it was not something that I had given a lot of thought to personally, and I was completely unprepared for the negativity and conflict that surrounded it. Uh, In fact, there had been two particularly bad incidences in the year or two before I arrived, which kind of exemplified that polarization. Uh, The first was sometime during the middle of the night, on one of the railroad track crossings on the sidewalk, somebody had chalked the outlines of dead bodies across the railroad tracks and labeled them fags. Uh, This led to a ban on sidewalk chalking on campus for about a decade. Uh, There was also an opinion board in the union that before the days of social media and blogging and Facebook and all that sort of stuff, if you wanted to have a debate about something, you would scribble it on a piece of paper and stick it onto that board and then people would respond to you. Uh, This was almost always done anonymously and in the middle of the night and there were a lot of fairly sharp exchanges about difficult topics. Uh, One year around Thanksgiving break, uh, there was a particularly sharp exchange about homosexuality and a day or two later, the entire opinion board was set on fire in the middle of the night and burned down. Uh, And that was the end of the opinion board. Um, These two public incidences, which were both completely inappropriate and counterproductive, uh, were nothing compared to the daily exchanges in the dorms, in the dining hall, and at social events. Uh, And I want to be very clear that in my experience 15 years ago, Folks on either end of the issue were equal, equally hateful towards one another. It wasn't just from one side or the other. Uh, I had a very unique circumstance to be very connected to two different peer groups that were on opposite ends of this issue. Uh, I was one of two freshman baseball players that year and the only person on the baseball team that was, grew up within two hours of Goshen or had any Mennonite background. Uh, I was also, I grew up in College Mennonite Church and in Goshen, so I had a roommate and many close friends that were from that demographic of local and Mennonite background. Being kind of in the, right in the middle of those two groups uh, gave me a strong distaste for this issue, not because of my personal beliefs around the, about the issue, but with my, with our inability to engage it in a constructive way Uh in, I mean, I was confident that I couldn't share anything about my beliefs with anybody without damaging relationships with someone. Uh, It's not my intent to open old scars, but there have also been a variety of other issues that we have had conflict with during my 12 or 15 years here that I have had a front seat for. Uh, In the aftermath of 9-11 and 2001, there was a lot of debate about the US's military response. Uh, I was also the baseball coach during the National Anthem debate that you guys may remember from several years ago, Uh, and I was also the director of the rec center when the decision was made to close the pool. (laughs) Despite the many negative experiences I have had with conflict at this pacifist institution, I truly believe that we have come a long way in the last 12 to 15 years in our ability to disagree respectfully. Uh, and it is my hope that the next 20 to 30 minutes here exemplifies that progress that we have made.
0: Thanks so much, Josh. That's an attempt to sort of set the context of what was. Um, and I agree with Josh that I think we are at a very different place. Um, and I'm delighted about that. We have a long way to go uh, constantly. Um, and so that's we're going to work at it this morning. but. Um, I'm so grateful for this student body um, and for our um, administrators and faculty who have um, really worked hard at making it a safe space all around. We want to make it safer for everybody and that's part of why we're doing this. Um, I want to uh, name a couple of assumptions that I'm bringing he- yeah, this morning. I just want to name them and, and um, hopefully you share them. The first assumption is that um, I believe we're all created in the image of God. Thank you. And that we are seeking to live faithfully and lovingly in this place, wherever we are on the spectrum of really any of these issues. Um, That that's that's an assumption, assumption I bring. I think that our differences around many critical issues, and we have them, um, are normal and good. Yeah, good. And that passionate conversation about these issues in the spirit of dialogue is good. We need to be having them. It is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Doesn't always feel good. I think, I believe that we are called Perhaps more than anything else, we are called and committed to maintaining strong relationships with each other in the midst of these differences. And I think what that means is we're more committed to relationships than to being right. Um, Right, quote unquote, whatever that is. I'll talk more about that along the way. The fourth one. In our history, and by our, I'm talking here about Goshen College, although I could be talking about the Mennonite Church, and I could be talking about uh, many of your uh, denominations as well, our context this morning is Goshen College. In our history, there have been many issues about which our beliefs and actions, I should say, have stayed much the same or have strengthened. Uh, Things perhaps like violence and war, service, uh, following Jesus, as well as there are issues about which we have revised our beliefs and actions like head coverings, women's uh, role in the church women in leadership divorce and remarriage and we could name others and the last assumption maybe, uh, maybe uh, may the most important as we dive into talking um, and that is that all of us have some of the truth none of us have all of the truth um, and I think that's uh, the First Corinthians 13 chapter about love. There's this um, after all of these um, verses that get read at weddings and places like that, and then and then in the after following that, it talks about the fact that we see in part, that we see through a glass dimly, and I my belief is that what that's telling us is that if we really love each other, that love is mixed with a great deal of humility. And that humility basically says, yes, I have a piece of the truth. I want to be true to that. I want to name that. Um, I don't want to be ashamed of that. I want to put it out there. But I also acknowledge that I don't have all of the truth on anything, really. Um, And that belongs to God. Um, And to believe that we have the full truth on anything, I think, frankly, is idolatrous. So I think that's, I think the the, um, emphasis on humility, on recognizing that we don't have, none of us have the full truth. Therefore, we listen, because everybody brings a piece of the truth. So those are my assumptions. So what does it mean to have conversation in the spirit of dialogue, rather than in the spirit of debate? I'm so glad you asked, because that gives me a chance to talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> what I want to be clear here that what, when I talk about the spirit of dialogue and the spirit of debate is that I think there is room for a really healthy, rousing debate. Um, on, on all of these things. So when I talk, but, but I think even in that, even in those debates, we can do those debates in the spirit of dialogue, which sounds crazy. Uh, but that's why I use the spirit, of, the spirit of, rather than just dialogue and debate. Um, and so just sort of uh, an overview of why it's so different. Um, the goal of, um, of conversation in the spirit of debate is to prove that I'm right. I need to win, it's winning. In dialogue, it's, it's to understand the other. Um, it's to understand myself better. It's to understand the other, where they're coming from, to explore common ground, a very different goal. Um, the basic assumption um, in the spirit of debate is that there's one right answer and I got it. The spirit of dialogue is what I just said, many people have uh, pieces of the truth. Actually, all of us have pieces of the truth. In, uh, there is careful listening that happens in, in the spirit in each of these, but the reason for listening is very different. Um, when you listen in the debate, in the spirit of debate, you're listening uh, to trap, you're listening for the weaknesses, um, you're thinking about how am I gonna counter that? Aha, got it. Um, so that's the kind of things you're listening for. In the spirit of dialogue, the listening really is very different. And it's as much as possible to put my own perspective aside just for the moment to be able to hear the other, um, to understand the other, to find meaning in what they're saying. So what, what we're searching for in the spirit of debate is weakness, flaws. We're searching for a way to bring me out on top. And in the spirit of, of dialogue, it's looking for, actually looking for strengths um, and values in the other positions. In the spirit of dialogue, I think you often hear things like, yeah, I see your point, or that, that makes sense, or I never thought about it that way before. It's it's comments like that along the way, which doesn't mean I've changed my opinion. It simply means I've listened and there's something there that I agree with. And those kinds of the, acknowledging those kinds of points and um, agreements along the way are really quite powerful. Um, so I, I encourage you to remember that. So that's the difference between spirit of dialogue and spirit of debate. Um, we've had lots of. Um, uh, there's lots of issues around which we disagree. Um, Just going to name them very quickly. I could elicit them, but I'm just going to name some of them. We're all familiar with them, um, but it's not just about homosexuality around which we disagree. Uh, Lots of disagreement around abortion, um, around war, um, patriotism, immigration, um, path to citizenship, gun control, paths to God, how do we we, uh, um, understand how we get to God, um, and then homosexuality. And what we're actually going to focus on today, because this is our context, um, what we're going to use as sort of a case study, holding all these other issues um, in the back of our minds, because what we're going to do today, we hope that you also apply to um, all the other issues uh, around which there are differences. So this is sort of a case study, but it's a relevant one because of where we're at it, at, um, at Goshen College. So in addition to sort of general conversation um, about homosexuality, our, our uh, conversation today is whether or not to change uh, Goshen College's hiring policy with, res- with respect to sexual orientation. That's, that's um, sort of where the conversation is going to be focused. So what is uh, Goshen College's um, hiring policy? This is from Goshen College uh, Community Standards. Sexuality is an integral part of our personalities, reflecting who we are as individuals. To care for another person includes honoring and respecting that person as a sexual being. Sexuality cannot be separated from other dimensions of our lives. The Mennonite Church USA Confession of Faith places sexual intercourse within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, and therefore employees are expected to follow this understanding. Um, and below, um, I think the unofficial uh, current policy is sort of a don't ask, don't tell. Um, up to this point, um, GLTBQ employees, um, uh, whether, whether in a same-sex relationship or not, um, I think have been sort of, uh, in, the, in the closet, have been um, were asked to stay that way. So that's the unofficial kind of policy. So, we're gonna jump in here. Here's our commitments for the, for the, um, uh, the way that we're going to have conversation. Uh, follows a bit some of the assumptions I bring, but just spells them out a little bit more. Uh, a commitment to listen respectfully uh, with the goal of understanding, uh, that asks you not to interrupt, um, and it asks you to give each other freedom. Um, and by that, I'm, I'm asking that you give each other equal opportunity, as well as respecting silence. Um, and if someone is not ready to share, uh, that that's, that's fine. You can pass, and, and uh, we will honor and respect that. Uh, as well as respecting emotion. There's a lot of emotion connected to this. Uh, We will honor that as well. Speaking respectfully for myself, I'm talking about my experience, uh, my own beliefs, my reactions, and therefore using I language, not you language, and focusing on what's in here, um, on myself. Um, And again, without interrupting or judging um, or shutting down anyone else, and that's the tricky part. a commitment to curiosity and new learning, um, and this is remembering that we only have part of the truth. And I just want to highlight that, that curiosity piece. Um, boy, if you keep that in the back of your mind all the time, when someone says something and you think, gee, are they out to lunch? Um, and you want to jump in and respond in a really, um, like, set them straight. Backing off, being curious, and asking, Whoa, I see that very differently. How did you get there? Is an enormously um, freeing and and opens up the conversation. So that curiosity, um, replacing judgment with curiosity, really. And then finally, um, holding each other in a positive light um, outside of this place. Uh, this is not confidentiality. We expect that you'll talk about this. What we talk about, we expect you'll talk about what the panelists talk about. Um, we don't want you to not talk about it. It's, that's exactly why we're doing it. But what our commitment is this morning, um, and hopefully in all your conversations, is that we will hold each other um, in a positive light as we talk to each other, um, so that if I talk about, for example, any of these, um, I will hold them um, when, when I am done saying what I'm saying, you will think of them um, in as positive or more positive way than you did before I started speaking. But that's really the commitment that I want to bring. So that's the, that's, that's the um, sort of uh, ground rules or conversation commitments for, um, as we jump in here. Um, I want to mention two, um, two things. Maybe the elephant in the room, I don't know, but I want, um, I want to mention um, two of them. One of them is that um, I think that it's pretty clear to many, maybe most of us, that the, um, the ethos of the campus has changed or is changing uh, pretty dramatically on this issue. Um, and that the, the, there's more, I think, um, I don't know quite how to say this, but the ethos is more on open and welcoming with those in quotes, um, the open, open to having uh, GLBTQ issues and people being out, um, that there is more, that, that's probably the more um, uh, spoken, the more, mm, I don't know how to say it, but the, but the ethos of the campus, more than it used to be. So I would ask that whether, whatever side you're on or, or if you're in the middle, to remember that um, and to remember that not so many years ago, it was switched, um, so asking all of you to remember that as well, and for those of you who maybe represent um, that uh, more dominant ethos, to remember what it felt like um, when it wasn't that way. And then finally, um, as we jump into here, um, I want to just name that, um, as, we, as I ask the questions of the three of these, um, that, um, and you'll soon hear, it really is... Um, a bit apples and oranges for uh, Stefan to be um, addressing these questions because he's addressing them um, about his own identity Um, and as someone who has been asked to speak about disability, um, I I found it's very different uh, for me to talk about disability than it is for somebody who's completely able-bodied and that's been helpful for me to think about. Um, There's obviously major differences between um, disability and uh, being GLBT or GLBTQ, and I'll just name three of them quickly. Uh, mine, my disability was not a part of me all of my life. It came um, relatively recently. I've been in the chair since 2005, um, so that's different. Um, the, the, if All of you, if you live long enough, are going to have a disability as well. So you're, um, I'm just a little ahead of you all, really. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll be practiced up by the time you all get there. Um, and then the third one, uh, perhaps the most significant, is that disability doesn't have the same kind of uh, explosiveness, sensitivity around it that uh, that talking about homosexuality does. So just asking you to particularly honor uh, the fact that Stefan is speaking from a, a different place than the rest of us uh, will be speaking from, and that may happen at your, at your tables as well. With that, I'm going to jump in. I have no idea what time it is. I'm gonna jump in with the, with the questions. Um, here's, the, here's three questions. I use these um, in, my, um, in my classes when we work on dialogue. They come, uh, they're a bit revised, but they come from uh, Public Conversations Project, which has done a lot of work um, in a lot of denominations around the country, um, uh, talking about a variety of things. Um, Really, really um, an excellent organization based out of um, Boston, Massachusetts. So the first one is around experience. Um, What's been your experience? The second one is why does it matter? Sort of what's at stake for you? Um, and the third one is, um, what, what doubts do you have? And that's doubts within your own perspective. And you'll notice that these ask for increasing vulnerability. And if you can have a conversation and actually get to that third one, and people are, can honestly say, I really believe what I believe strongly, but here's some of the questions that still rattle around. If you get to that level, that's wonderful. Um, because that's a level of vulnerability that shows a lot of trust. So we're going to jump in here. Um, I've asked the panelists to um, not take more than um, a minute. So um, I've asked them to write it out, and they. I told them also that I will cut them off if they take more than a minute. So, um, all of them actually did uh, write it out, and um, sort of will be following what we've talked about before. That's. A bit artificial, you won't have written out scripts when you talk, um, but for obvious reasons, that's, why, that's how we're doing it. So, um, we're going to start with the question of uh, what has been your experience around um, this topic, and starting with Benson.
3: Okay, so my experience around this topic basically comes down to two things. Um, the first is that I've just gotten experience from like friends and family. Um, I used to actually believe very differently, um, when a friend had talked to me about, you know, what he believed and everything, and so I became very passionate about that, but then my mom actually had a conversation with me later and just encouraged me to read the Bible and study it and take it for what I believe, um, and then that became, um, Yeah, so I read, you know, verses like in Romans 1 and in 1 Corinthians 6 and began to believe differently. So the first type of experience is just from, you know, people and reading the Bible. Um, The second experience is quite a bit uh, more um, serious. Uh, It's more a personal life experience. I... uh, um, from when I was about seven to when I was uh, like 15-ish, I actually dealt with, uh, feeli- or not feelings, but um, with engaging in homosexual activity with other people. Um, and it was mainly out of a um, uh, desire for sexual activity, it wasn't necessarily because I actually was attracted um, to those people, but, um, yeah, and so, I just, for a long time, I dealt with a lot of guilt, shame, and most of all, loneliness, Um, because, because uh, it was very hard for others, or I didn't think many other people dealt with that, and I don't think many other heterosexual people did, Um, but, anyways, uh, it's, So that was my second part of
2: the...
4: My experience with um, this topic is mostly from friends, family, and basically my dad, my dad is very, um, whenever I ask him anything, he just goes to the Bible and he's basically the one that has been more open about sexuality and mostly with friends and just listening and sharing with people who are different from me or just the same as me. So that's my experience.
1: Like uh, Carolyn mentioned, I am currently living it. Um, This quote-unquote issue is my life, or at least an integral part of my life. So now my life is an issue. I am an issue. Eight years of my life was consumed by questioning my sexual orientation, doubt, loneliness, self-hate, hopelessness, thinking there was something wrong with me, that God did not love me. Not, not a day goes by <laughs> that I do not think about my sexual orientation and how that will affect my relationships with people and my future. I worry people won't take me seriously, that they won't believe me, that they will reject me, that they won't value my faith even when my faith has been the aspect that has gotten me through. With God's help, I've, expect, I've accepted who I am. Through God's love, I have found peace, so I do not want to hide who God made me to be by staying silent. God loves me, my whole being. Thanks to all three of
0: you. I'm going to start the second one with Angelica. Um, What's at stake for you here? Why does this matter? Values? Beliefs? um, What's at stake?
4: I have not paid attention to this tension as much until recently. I have listened to a lot of people and asked questions. And you're
0: talking about the policy specifically now.
4: Yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, exactly about that. And a friend of mine told me um, if you lose your edges, you lose your shape. And uh, as a Christian, I need to be accountable to God and what the Word of God says. And when uh, your culture and the Word of God, have attention. Sometimes we tend to read the culture and not what the Word of God says. And so I think that I need to die for the world and live for Christ, and that's my main focus. And I think this, is, this tension is important because I need to focus on what I'm standing and what my belief is.
1: So um, why does this matter to me? Essentially, the policy is telling LGBTQ people like me that their voice is not valuable, even undesirable. They are too controversial. Their faith and journeys are irrelevant. They're not God's children. These people could be mentors to students like me and to you too, (laughs) but they are told that they have nothing to offer, that they are only their sexual orientation, not qualified professionals with gifts to share. But they are people They are me in a few years. The doors are open when I am a student here, but once I get my diploma, I am no longer welcome. The doors will be shut.
3: Um, Why does this matter to me in terms of homosexual as a GLBTQ as whether that's a sin or not? It doesn't really matter, to be honest. Um, Do I believe it's a sin, the act, yes absolutely. But um, I think what's at stake is that we're putting this in front of Jesus many times. I think a lot of times we focus too much on on controversial issues and different underlying things than following Christ. And as Christ followers, as calling ourselves Christians, we're calling ourselves Christ followers. And the Christ followers of the early church, they were called Christians by other people. The people who weren't Christians looked at and were like, man, those guys love Jesus. Like, they're, you know, on fire for him. And I think if people, like, came in today and we didn't have this term Christian, I think a lot of times people wouldn't look in and say, man, those guys are Christians. They love Jesus. I think a lot of times they'd probably think, wow, you know, they're, they are really homosexual lovers or they're homosexual haters or whatever. They'll just, they, they see, I think, a lot more of these controversial issues than they actually do us following Jesus. And that's what's at stake.
0: And the last question, um, starting with Stephan, um, what doubts do you have about your own uh, perspective
1: um, on this issue? So my doubts uh, come from that I am uncomfortable with the idea of the unknown So, naturally, the unknown of what would happen after this policy would change scares me. (laughs) It is a very complex issue with many possible outcomes. So, yes, the unknown is unnerving. But again, if the heart of the policy is that it does not value me for who I am, there can no longer be doubt. I've doubted myself for a long time. When I doubt this issue, I doubt myself. I doubt my worth. My confidence suffers. I go back to living in fear. I question God's love for me. It's too harmful to continue doubting myself. I can no longer put myself through it. So if the policy means sending these negative messages to people like me, I guess I would say that my overwhelming certainty outweighs the little doubt of the need to change it. Uh,
3: I guess the main doubt I have is is as whether or not um, I actually think that we should be hiring or not hiring GLBTQ staff. Um, And the reason I say this is because, well, like Jesus, for example, he actually didn't have anything to say about this topic, uh, which means he wasn't adamant about it either way. I personally believe that he probably, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I, I would think he would say that it was wrong. But he didn't, the fact of the matter is he wasn't adamant about either side because we don't have any record. Um, but he was adamant about, or not adamant, but he spoke very strongly on divorce in Matthew 5 and I think it seems very fairly inconsistent that we let this slide as a hiring policy but for the GLBTQ that we hold above that when Jesus spoke very strongly about this and not about the other one um, and so in that, in that sense that makes me uneasy um, because there Are many professors who say are divorced but I like really love and I would hate to see them go Um, and so it seems very inconsistent in some of Goshen's hiring policies
4: Um, so my doubts is uh, ours um, I doubt the accuracy of my interpretation of the Bible Um, I'm afraid I'm not doing what Jesus would do if he was here on earth also doubt of what God wants us to do with this tension, and I'm afraid of being too religious. Please, please give them a hand.
0: I hope you drink in that applause, the length of it. It's clearly sincere. Thank you to all three of you. Um, We don't have a lot of time left, about um, maybe 10, 11 minutes. Um, What? Five. Becky says five. So, (laughs) Becky's boss. So here's what what I would recommend, um, that you simply take that first question um, and that you do a round around the table Um, with basically um, a line or two about what your experience has been Um, and really just a line or two and if you get to the second question do another round Um, just to sort of uh, give it give it a try Um, and then from here on out um, do this at the rot Um, how did you get there that's that's the question where did that come from what why does it matter Um, and ask these questions as you have conversation with each other. So I will call you um, in a little bit to, to a close. Go for it. free to stay around and talk, but you're dismissed otherwise. Go and have good conflict, good conversations.